Well, good morning. Hear me okay? There we go. All right. I just wanted to start this morning um, by saying that Alicia and I are just so thankful to be a part of this church family. It is just a, a special group of people, brothers and sisters in Christ, being a part of this church. And um, just for so many different ways. I mean, just the way that you've appreciated us last week and this month. Um, just very thankful for all the cards and the gifts and just the, just the meal of fellowship that we had last week. I want to thank you for that. And I also want to thank you for your partnership and ministry with us as we continue down our foster care journey. Just um, a little crazy in our house right now with seven, seven people, but thank you so much for your, your care and your prayer for us as we uh, continue on this journey. We're very thankful to be a part of this church family. I wanted to start this morning. I guess you saw that I brought this up. So I got this nice little power surge cord thing here. So this thing is pretty useless right now, right? You can't really do a whole lot with it. It's turned to the off position. It's not plugged in the wall. I'm not going to attempt to plug it in the wall. You can just, when I talk about it, I'll just pretend to do it because I don't want to mess anything up. I've done, been a pastor long enough to know I don't want to mess things up when I do an illustration. Um, but I have this power cord, so it's kind of useless right now, right? We, we're, we're not plugged in anything. Now, if I were to take something like, you know, something down here on stage and just plug it into it, and then I plug it into the wall, and then I turn it on, right? Now it has power. Now it has the ability to do something. Because often these are, are helped to, like, so we don't have fires, so we can have multiple things plugged in. You're not plugging them all into the wall. Um, but this is a very helpful tool, but it's only helpful if it's being used correctly, so if you're plugging something into this power strip, um, then it would, be, it would be work if it's on, if it's plugged in, and if there's something plugged into it, then it will work, and it will work correctly. Often in the culture that we live in today, we live in a, in a culture that is driven by power and control and the wanting to have everything for myself. I want, to, I want money, I want power, I want control. But the problem of the matter is, is that we are going about it the wrong way. We are looking for power and control in a way that is honoring to self, honoring to me. But what we need to do is like what we do with this. We need to plug into the real power source and understand where real power comes from. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We are going to look at the life of Jesus and he is going to show us what it means to have real power in a way that can be translated. Obviously, we're not going to be Jesus, but we can use the examples that are in these passages this morning to understand what it means to live in power, in real power. We need to plug in to the power source of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at that. So if you'd open up your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 4. So Luke chapter 4, and we're going to be uh, finishing up the chapter starting in verse 31, and we're going to go through verse 44 through the rest of the chapter. So as a reminder of where Pastor Aaron was last week, um, so we, we've kind of been looking at different aspects of Jesus' life. Um, we looked at his humanity, his sonship. Last week, we even saw Jesus going back to his hometown and being rejected in his hometown. How hard was that to, would be to face to go back to your own hometown and they reject you? The people expected Jesus to display this power that they had been seeing, right? They wanted him to heal everyone, to do these signs, these miraculous signs. They wanted him to do those things. But they, you know what the other thing they didn't like about what he did when they came to his hometown? He started talking about those dirty Gentiles. That's what. So he, they, did not want, they did not want Jesus. They wanted to hoard Jesus themselves. They wanted Jesus to be only for Jews, not for Gentiles. They didn't want the gospel message to spread to anybody 
but to them. And so they rejected him. They did not, they, they kicked him out of town. And that's where we head this morning as Jesus heads to a new place. But we, what, what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus' power is revealed. You see it deeply. You see not just that his power is revealed, but also the way, the motive, the, the way that he goes about using his power. So let's dig into this passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31. And we're going to read just the first two verses here for this beginning. Jesus' power is revealed first through his teaching authority. The Gospel of Luke writes, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So just two short verses there to start, where we see his authority on display already. So he has left his hometown. He's left Nazareth. He's gone to a different part of the, the Galilean area called Capernaum. So like, if you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, it's kind of coming down. So right there in, it was where Nazareth was, kind of on the southwest side. You go to, up to the northwest side of Galilee, that's where Capernaum is. Not that far away, but still a couple day, a, a day journey to get there. And so that's where he's at. He's moved on to Capernaum. He's left his hometown, a different city in Galilee. So he is teaching on the Sabbath. And as he's teaching on the, stab, on the Sabbath, you see the people's response. What is the people's response? It's astonishment. They are astonished at the way he's teaching, what he is teaching, because it says his word was possessed by authority. Now, I've heard preachers and pastors my whole life. I mean, been in ministry my whole life. My dad was a very strong example of a pastor that preached the word very deeply with authority. Um, guys like John MacArthur, who have been a very great uh, influence in my life. Bill Cook, who was the, uh, my professor in New Testament when I was in seminary, who was also my seminary pastor. Um, R.C. Sproul, who we'll see a, a video clip from later. John Owen and some of the Puritan pastors. Great men of God who really stuck to scripture. Pastor Aaron, he is a great faithful preacher of the word of God every Sunday. I, I see him in the office every, every week. He's preparing the sermons. He's putting them together. He's faithfully teaching the word of God to us. I've seen these examples in my life, but there's something even a little different about what we see here, because this is the Son of God, right? This isn't just anyone. We, me as a pastor up here, have been given somewhat authority because of what the Scripture teaches and because I'm speaking through God's Word, but I don't have the authority that Jesus had here, right? It's a little different. It's a, it's a little special uh, authority. So people have speculated on what was it about Jesus' teaching that made it so authoritative what made it that people were astonished by what he was saying some people said maybe he was just really eloquent in the way he spoke some people say it may have been the exact words that he was saying i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he is the son of god and so he's speaking with a special type of authority that comes from god that nobody else has or would have and so there's a special um speaking ability it, it's not because i mean I, I think sometimes in in the church we are looking for the the best speakers you know the ones that that can just command an audience and i'm not against people that being able to do that that's a great gift from god but that that's not what is that matters the most to me what i want to hear from a preacher is that they're faithfully teaching this that they are teaching me how to learn this how to grow in this the things that that the holy spirit is speaking to them to speak to us that's what I want to, to hear. And so I think what you're hearing, what you're seeing with that astonishment is first that he has a special, being the son of God, he's, he's possessing a special type of authority. 
I also think often when you hear the actual words that Jesus are preaching, they're coming from the Old Testament, right? They're coming from the very words of God. So he's speaking those very words. And so I think it's important for us to know that the, part of the reason they are astonished is because he's going back and back and back to the word of God, the, the Old Testament, to teach them, to say, here's the Old Testament speaking about these things. Here am I, right? He's saying, this is me. This is what I'm doing. This is what I've come to do. I'm the Messiah. And so there's this very special um, teaching ability and authority that Jesus has that he is, that he is giving here. So people were, were attracted to his teaching. His message was decisive. It was truthful. And there was just some unmistakable divine ring to it. And so the people were astonished at it. The word of God being spoken. The word of God speaking. Jesus Christ. How powerful. This, what a, a powerful moment there. And I would say there's no preacher now or forever or even in the past that will have the authority teaching preaching that Jesus had. But however, I, I do think that God does give um, authority through his word for pastors and teachers to, to preach and teach the word of God. They are given uh, the power through the working of the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, who are the, this is the very words of God, to teach and preach with God-given authority. And I think that they should. And this leads us to understand that one of the things that our church stands on, and I love it, and I will continue to, to want to be a part of that as I'm standing in, in the pulpit or if I'm teaching with the students on Wednesday night or teaching a Sunday school class, whatever I'm doing, is expository preaching and teaching. And if you don't know what that word means, it's basically kind of defined as like word-centered or, driv word or driven preaching to where basically, you know, like we're studying Luke right now. I'm studying the Philippians in the Sunday school class. I'll be teaching Joshua in the spring to the students, like, like walking through books of the Bible. But what we talk about with expository preaching and teaching is the idea that we are using the word of God to drive everything we're doing. So what we're choosing to preach and teach on, when we are preaching and teaching, we are letting this drive what we're saying. So it's not just my words. It's not just what I want to say, what I feel like you need to hear, it's what, God what I want God's word to say to you. I want the Holy Spirit to speak through me, not me speak through the word. And so it's important for us to understand as Christians, any time that you're in a local church, make sure you're part of a local church that is serious about teaching the word of God in a way that the word is, is the, what's driving it. That the word of God is what's speaking to you, not the person that's standing up there in front of you. Now, we, I, I desire to to speak well, and to, to grow as a preacher and a teacher. But you should focus mostly on the message. The message is what matters the most. So the message is what's spoken. Brian Chapel, who used to be a pastor here in Peoria, rec recently left Peoria, said this, the main idea of an expository sermon or, or teaching is the topic. The divisions of that idea, the main points, the development of those divisions, all come from truths the text itself contains. No significant portions of the text is ignored. In other words, preachers willingly stay within the boundaries of the text and do not leave until they have surveyed the entirety with its hearers. That is what we are to do as preachers and teachers. We are to use that authority that's been given to focus people and to drive people back to this. The word of God is what matters the most. Now, I... There, there's a lot of reasons I could give to you why I think that you should be here on church on Sunday mornings, but here's one of the main reasons why I think you need to. It's because we need to be together sitting under God's word. 
We all need God's word. We need that authority in our lives. We need it to speak to us. Now, that doesn't mean if you can't be here, you know, things happen, but I think it's important for you to be here on Sunday morning as much as you can because we need to sit under the teaching and the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ through his word. We need to be here. It's important for us. We don't want to give the Lord our scrap, the Sunday morning our scraps to the Lord. We want to come here with a seriousness to hear God's word preached and taught, to worship together, to fellowship together. We need to be here because the word of God needs to speak to our hearts every Sunday, if possible. So again, we see Jesus Christ's power revealed through his teaching authority. He had great teaching authority and it's example to us as followers of Christ. So moving on in this text, we start to see Jesus' power revealed in a different way, which is the idea of healings, the healings of compassionate power that he has, his ability to be able to heal people. So um, just a couple weeks ago, I had took a trip to Birmingham, had the opportunity to visit um, some civil rights sites while I was there. I was there for a student ministry conference, but I had a really um, moving morning having the opportunity to visit the Civil Rights Institute and uh, visit the 16th Street Baptist Church. Do you have that picture up there? Show them the picture of the, is it up there? Okay, good. All right, so the 16th Street Baptist Church is in the picture in the background. So what I wanted to share with you is that was just a very moving morning for me, just seeing just the, this kind of the background, the history of everything that went on, because Birmingham was kind of the center of the civil rights movement. And so I walked through the Civil Rights Institute. I was the only one there. I was the only one that got a tour of the 16th Street Baptist Church. There wasn't very many people that day. Um, I actually, at the 16th Street Baptist Church that's in the picture behind you, um, had the opportunity to have the tour, the tour guide that gave it to me was actually at the church when the bomb happened, because that was where the bombing were for, little girls were killed. That was kind of the spark to really push the civil rights movement forward. And the guy told me stories after stories of things that were happening. But what the thing that kept ringing true to me throughout this, these stories was that these, these African Americans were serious about reconciliation, forgiveness. They weren't looking to fight, a lot of them. A lot of them were serious about wanting to have reconciliation, to work through things together. They didn't want to make it all about themselves and trying to get their revenge. A lot of them did that. Now, there was one particular picture. I didn't get a picture of it, but I, I want to share it with you that I think leads us into this part of the passage. There's a, there's a picture of a young African-American man that was beaten really bad on a, on a, on a bus riot, or a, a, a bus trip that they had taken. They were pulled off the bus and the guy is laying there in the gutter and there's a, a white guy that's there that is bent down and is like caring for his wounds and is talking to him. And it was just a very moving picture to me of the idea of, of them coming alongside and healing, trying to help heal him to not just heal like physically, but actually like being there for him and, and sharing that like, hey, we're not all trying to do this to you. We care about you. We want reconciliation. And it, 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 why it was so moving to me is because it kind of felt like I was seeing how Jesus would have treated him in that situation, how Jesus just deeply cared for other people. He was compassionate and he desired to see people be healed in many different ways whenever they encountered him. He didn't push people away. He, he, he showed a different type of power, a power of compassion, right? Because we don't think of the idea of those two words combining, but Jesus shows us that there is great power in being compassionate to the people that God places in our lives. 
So let's look at the three different encounters that we see here with Jesus uh, when it has to do with healing. So if you would read with me, we're going to start in verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you done with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits. And they come out. So there's the first encounter. We see that Jesus confronts a man right there in the synagogue, right there um, where he was speaking. He confronts a man with a, def- a demonic force inside of him. And, you know, he was, he, he, Jesus has been mocked, and he will be mocked throughout our study of the book of Luke. But you see it here, even a little bit of mocking coming from this demon. Say, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? Now this, why have you come here? You know, just kind of mocking him. Um, but Jesus, again is showing his power here. He is compassionate to this man that has this demonic force, and he tells the, demo- the demonic force to come out of this man. But one of the things I want you to notice there is what, is the, what does the demon say? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't that interesting? This demon knows who Jesus is. He knows who Jesus is. And it reminds us, right, that you can have a mental aspect of understanding who God is, who Jesus is, but it takes more of that, because that demon is in in total, he's totally against Jesus. He's not for him. He's, He's trying to fight against him. He's against Jesus, but he knows who Jesus is, and his own people that just rejected him in the last sermon don't even know who he is, but the demons know who he is. That That should make us pause for a minute and think about that that Jesus is known by the demon, but not by his own people from his own hometown. And so we see here that he knows who he is. And it it reminds me of James chapter 2, because James chapter 2 tells us that even the demons shudder, right? They know who he is. They know who God is. They know who Jesus is. And so this, that, that's something I think we see there. But we also see the power, right? We see the power of Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he's able to take that, tell, call that. Just with his words, he's able to tell that demon to come out, and the demon comes out, he's gone. There's a compassion that he's doing it for him, but there's also some, some power that we should fear, that we should understand about Jesus, that he has the ability with his words to pull, to pull a demon out of this person. This is great power being shown by Jesus. This is the Jesus that we just read from, that Pastor Andrew read from, from Colossians chapter 1, that has all power, all authority. So that's the first encounter. Second encounter, starting in verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and he left her, and he immediately, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. So again, we just talked about more of a spiritual realm with the demon coming out. Now we're looking at more of a physical ailments thing going on. So this is Simon, who you know, they call Peter, the Apostle Peter. This is Peter's mother-in-law. She's very sick. And, and Peter and then the family has come to appeal to Jesus because they know his authority. They know his ability. So they appeal to Jesus to come uh, to help her with her high fever. She's on death's doorway. And uh, so they call him over. And again, just by his very words, the very words of Jesus, he's able to heal her, right? Or the laying on of hands, even. 
it says, appealed to him. He stood over her and rebuked the fever and left her. Immediately she rose and began to serve him. So you see right there, just stood over her and rebuked the fever, just like he did with a demon. That's special kind of power, right? That's a power that you're not going to see anywhere else. He's able to heal her just by his very words, by standing over her. She was completely healed, right? You get the, the sense that this isn't just like an overnight thing, right? He stood over and rebuked the fever, and what happened? It left her, and then she immediately rose and began to serve them. She is completely, 100% healed, and she's able to even come and serve them. So that, that's a good reminder to us of the ability that Jesus has to heal, both with demonic spiritual realm, but also with the physical realm here with Peter's mother-in-law. And then the third one is the crowd, the force of the crowd, starting in verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, so it's getting late at night, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. I want you to see those words. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. That's compassion. Jesus loves. He cares. There's not a single person in this world that he doesn't care about. Jesus is compassionate and loving, and in his power, he still shows his love by his willingness to put his, his hands and heal every one of the people that come to him. And while that was happening, the demons, again, are kind of mocking. The demons are saying stuff to him. The demons come out, a man crying. They, they, they're basically proclaiming what his hometown should have been proclaiming, right? What should they have said? You are the son of God. That's what we should be saying. We should be shooting, shouting that from the rooftops, and that's what his hometown should be doing, too. You are the son of the God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they know, knew he was the Christ. Why do you think maybe that they would have, he would stop them from doing that? It's an interesting question, right? To think about why, why would Jesus tell them? He's, he's, they're saying what he is, right? But it wasn't the time, for one thing. For one thing, we know this, this, the time had not come. Jesus says that in, in all of the Gospels at different points in different situations that, it, that the time and place has not come for that to be revealed. Um, but also I think that he was um, wanting that to be heard from other people, not necessarily the demons saying that, but people that were actually were wanting to be followers of him. And so there's, there's reasons why I think this truth is not being spoken at this moment. But what you see here is that Jesus' power is being revealed in a different way than our world would see that needing to be revealed, right? We see his power through his healings, but he's doing it in a very compassionate way. He's not doing it to, he wants people to see his power, but he's doing it because he loves people. He cares for every individual person, not just the crowd, right? He's, it says he talked to every individual person. So Luke presents us with some glimpses of his healing power, right? Because we know this isn't the only time. And we know that the scripture doesn't reveal to us every single time he, do he does this, because he has done this many times and will continue to do this. But he presents to us glimpses of his healing power. So how can these stories that we just read be relevant to us 2,000 years later? First off, I think Jesus is God and has power that should humble us. It should humble us the amount of power that Jesus has. He has the power to speak words and people are healed. He has the power to die for us so that we can have eternal life and rise again so that we can be saved. Jesus has power that should give us a little bit of a healthy fear that should humble us because he is a great God, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. We can't just say that we believe. We can't just let it be a mental thing. It has to be a heart thing. 
This is a lifelong change and a lifelong relationship with Jesus that we are called to have. It's not just this mental assent that, yeah, I'm, I, I believe in Jesus, but then you just leave, live your life on your own without reliance on Jesus at all and doing things for yourself. We must not just have mental assent. We must believe with our hearts, with all of ourselves. We must believe. Next, our understanding of who God is goes beyond just, uh, just the desire to do what we want to do. It's not about self. This passage reminds us that Jesus loved people. We need to love people. We need to not discriminate against people because of their color of skin, their background, that they're hard to deal with, that they've done stuff towards us. We should desire to love like Jesus loved, to have that type of compassion, to have that kind of power. There's power in that kind of c- compassion for others. It should, have, it should affect the way we think, act, and talk, and choose to do things with other people is the example that Jesus has given us in this passage. We must have a compassionate heart for all people, just like Jesus. Now, does that mean we're gonna handle every single person's problems? No, we can't. There's no way for us to be able to handle everybody's problems. But we should have a heart where we are looking and seeking out ways to love each, love each other and love others. We need to live with a spirit of sacrificial love and an attitude that mirrors Jesus. This passage reminds us that Jesus didn't push people away and we shouldn't be pushing people, people away either. We can't help everybody, but we can surely do what God has called us to do by being compassionate and loving towards all people that are in our path. So we've seen so far God's power has been revealed both in his teaching authority and also in his compassionate love for others to heal them. And lastly, Jesus was called on a mission. And I mentioned before that one of my favorite preachers was R.C. Sproul, and he always has a very eloquent way of saying things, so I want you to watch this couple-minute video clip about the idea of, of Jesus being on mission. I once heard a preacher give a message entitled, If I Were God. It's a strange title, to be sure. But in his sermon, he engaged in some uh, creative imagination. He said that if he were God and he decided to have his son come to this world, he would not have him born in a peasant village outside of Jerusalem, but he would dress him up in something of the uniform of the Blue Angels or of a space uh, hero and have him descend from heaven, go straight to the cross, complete the work of redemption and then return. In other words, he was saying, I would send my son in royal garb, make a great big splash, and then depart from the scene. But that's not how God did it. And there's a reason why God didn't do it that way, as we saw with the uh, concern of John the Baptist and in the baptism of Jesus, that Jesus came not only to die, but to live that he came to be the second Adam, the new Adam, to do for us what Adam failed to do the first time around. And so his mission was to be in submission to all of the requirements of God, to take upon himself as the eternal Logos and the second person of the Trinity a human nature, 
and to be born of a woman, and to be born of the seed of David. And so for the New Testament, the birth of Jesus is of profound significance because it is the advent of Emmanuel, the one who comes as our mediator and who grows up in the nurture of the Lord, who has to learn obedience, not from disobedience, but in terms of an expanding understanding and awareness of all of the implications of his mission. But the birth of Jesus begins the humiliation of Christ, that this indicates the willingness of the one who from all eternity was equal with God, who counted his equality with God, not as something to be jealously guarded, but he was willing to empty himself of his glory and to assume the posture, the rank, and the status of a servant. Do you remember last week when Pastor Aaron was talking about how we often seek to have Jesus be a certain way? We want him to do what we want him to do for us. We want him to be a certain way for our liking, for our preferences, how the, the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah to be a very certain way, and Jesus kind of came and blew up that narrative. We, we, we understand that. And so Jesus here um, recognizes what the people are looking for and, and wants to push them back towards what his mission was, what he came, what R.C. was just talking about. So let's read these last few verses of this chapter, of chapter 4 of Luke, starting in verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So you see, after a long stretch, he had said that whole night before he was healing, people were coming to him. They were seeking him out. So he goes, as he departs, the, uh, as it becomes day again, into a desolate place. He went away, and, and you would, you could, a lot of commentators believe that Jesus was probably getting away to spend some time with God the Father and during this time. And I think it, it's a reminder to us as Christians that sometimes we need to get away with God. We need to, to have that refuge where we can just spend individual alone time where we spend with God. And, and Jesus gives us that example here. Is that what we think he was doing most likely? Is that he, when he departed, he went to a desolate place to be alone with God the Father. And, and you know, the people were serious about his authority of power. They saw it. They wanted to be around it. It was attractional to them. They were looking for healings. They were looking for miracles. So even when he went to this desolate place, they're going to find him. They're going after him. So when the people sought him and came to him and, and would have kept from leaving them. But he said to them, so he, he responds. They, they see his power authority. They come and find him. But he responds with this. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus had a purpose and a mission when he came to this earth. We've talked about a lot of those all and in any time we've read the scriptures, when any time we've read anything about Jesus, we know that he had a mission and purpose for being here. But the one that he specifically says here is that he is called to preach the good news, the kingdom, the gospel, the kingdom of God is coming. He's preaching that. It's interesting that um, 
Luke uses these words, preaching the kingdom of God, because that would be something you're more likely to see in the Gospel of Matthew. Because the Gospel of Matthew was spoken directly more towards Jewish people, so they would have the, more of the full understanding of the idea of the kingdom of God, that he's preaching that the kingdom of God is coming, and the kingdom of God has come through me. And so that's what he's preaching here, and that's what he's telling them. His miracles were important. His healings, his teaching authority, those things, they're important. But he came on a mission, his, his valuable mission of bringing the good news, the gospel message through himself. That's what he came to do. That was his, his, his ultimate mission. And the Jewish people struggled with some of this mission because of what I mentioned earlier. Because they wanted the message for themselves. They wanted to stay hoarded in with the Jewish people. They didn't want that message to go out to other towns. They didn't want that message to go out to other people besides Jewish people. They desire for the gospel message just to be for them. But the truth of the matter is we wouldn't be standing here today if that were true. We wouldn't be sitting here and we wouldn't be talking we wouldn't be worshiping together if that were true. The gospel message is for all people. And we need to share it with all people just as Jesus is doing. That should be our mission our example set in scripture right here by Jesus is that our mission, our vision in this life is to bring the good news to people. And it, sometimes that can seem difficult, right? That we don't know the right words to say or you know, it's difficult to talk to certain people. But as I've told our students over and over, we just need to live life. We need to build relationships with people that give us the opportunity to speak into their lives and to tell them about our faith and to share the good news with them. Let us be like Jesus. Let us be on mission. Have the same vision, the same love for people. It is the most loving thing that we can do to share the good news about the coming kingdom of God. We, that's what we need to share. That's what people need to know more than anything. So with our lives, with our actions, our choices, and our words, let us share the gospel message, the good news, just as Jesus has done here. The gospel often reminds us how we are to model and mirror Jesus' life on this earth. So don't, don't underestimate, underestimate valuable alone time with God. Fight for it. Make it a priority, that, that daily devotional life. Because those things prepare you. That's the foundation for sending you on mission. We need to get alone with God. We need to have that deep relationship with him so we can be on mission. It will spur us on. It will send us away as we go to share the gospel with others. That doesn't mean all of us are going to be called to be missionaries. Many of us may not. But we are all on mission. Meaning we all are given the authority to take this message of the gospel to people. The people that God places in our life, we should share our faith with. It is part of our mission, just like it was Jesus' mission to share the good news. So a lot of the things I've talked about how it speaks to us... I want us to be reminded as we close this morning that we can't do this on our own. I'm not asking us to live within this authority and to live on mission and do these things in our own power. Remember what I said at the beginning? We need to, we need to plug into that power source, which is Jesus himself. We need to power into him. We need to power into his, reve his revealed word, the Bible. We need to, we need to put these, make these our power source. Because we can't do this on our own. We have to be united with Christ. We have to be plugged in to his power source. Or we won't be able to live for him. We won't be able to share him. 
we will not be able to be humbled enough to be able to bring God the glory and not ourselves the glory. We need to power into the power source that brings us to a deeper relationship with Christ and allows us to share that on mission. So let us go from here this morning being serious about being plugged into the power source of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is our power and his power is not what the world says power is. It's what he says in his word. He is the authority. We stand on his authority. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what your passage has taught us and challenged us with, encouraged us with. Lord, help us to take these things to heart. Help us to live these things out. Help us to be serious about just uh, plugging into your power source, Lord, because we can't do it on our own. We need you. We need to rely on you, trust in you, believe in you with our hearts and our minds, our whole lives. So Lord, help us as we sing songs of worship and response, as we pray together, as we fellowship as fellow believers. Lord, I pray that we will encourage each other on in this. Uh, Lord, I just pray that the, this sermon, um, not because of my words, but because of what your words have spoken today, will be lasting in the lives of all of us, including myself. Lord, we're so beyond grateful for the many blessings you give us, but Lord, we thank you first and foremost that we have the ability to have union with you because of your death and resurrection. Help us never to take that for granted and help us to use it as the message that we share to be on mission in the world around us and the people that you place in our lives. Thank you so very much, Lord Jesus, for the power that you have shown. Lord, we are humbled and we have a healthy fear, Lord, of the, of the great power that you have and that we can plug into that source, Lord, and, and, be, and have authority in your name. Thank you so much for these things, Lord. We pray that you will take this message and, and put it deeply into our hearts. We pray this in your great and gracious name. Amen.